Hello brothers and welcome back to the Gentleman's Journey. After a long hiatus, we're back here in Lubbock, Texas for the 181st convention. And I'm here to kick off post hiatus with a very special guest and brother, Kevin Haynes. Brother, thank you for sitting down with us today. I appreciate you. So brother Kevin Haynes is from Alpha Rho, Rutgers, class of 81. He currently sits as the president of the alumni board for that alpha, and he is gladly and uh, graciously given his time today for us to be able to just have this conversation and continue these great stories. So thank you again. Sure thing. So how is it from your end being at the 181st convention, just being here in Lubbock, hot Texas, and just getting to catch up with old friends and go through all that? Well, it's great. And to me, this is my eighth convention. And uh, it's always interesting to see the different universities. I had a chance to walk around the campus yesterday, just a spectacular campus. Um, and obviously, as you said, getting together with uh, old acquaintances and friends and, and, form and fellow brothers. And really, to me, it's, it's kind of a rejuvenation process for me. You know, being uh, part of the alumni board is, you know, volunteer work, but it's work and it takes, takes its toll. And coming here reminds me about why I do it and what it, what it means to the, to the kids at the Alpha at this point in time. And it helps me to get a bit of perspective and there's always something, a surprise. So yesterday I, I went to the Trust Luncheon, sat next to a, a fellow um, who was doing the leadership training for the number ones, uh, found it to be extremely, extremely interesting fellow. Mm. Went to a session this morning and was not disappointed. So you never know what's gonna come up. Uh, there's been several different instances like that at past conventions where you meet somebody unexpected and you really go on a different path than what you had thought. Um, obviously, I come to convention with some objectives uh, and try to make sure that I'm making my connections and making, getting the resources I need or advice that I need to make sure that, um, that the Alpha continues to be strong. Absolutely. You touched a little bit on what it's been like. Um, you called it volunteer work, but just being president of that alumni board. What's it been like to just still maintain that connection to the undergraduates today? Well, it's, it's ultimately very rewarding. Right. Obviously, there are challenges along the way, but we have, as all the alphas do, have a have a um, overabundance of great guys, and it's impressive to see what they're doing uh, with themselves and outside of what they're doing for the brotherhood. And some of those connections last. Um, obviously, I'm 40 plus years out of school, mm -hmm. uh, so sometimes it's it's more of a mentoring capacity, but still, you know, being able to help uh, brothers get a start on their professional careers or connect them to the right people, maybe get them a summer internship, things like that, and seeing them perform makes it very rewarding. Absolutely. Um, you said you're 40 years out of school, so let's rewind about four decades. Sure. Talk to me about just growing up, where you're from, and what led you to Rutgers and eventually to Kaisai. Well, so I've lived... In my younger years, I lived all over the place. I went to four different grammar schools. I started born in Ohio. My dad was a, uh, a PhD chemist student. Mm. So we went to the University of Illinois, lived there on campus while he completed his studies. Moved down to Baytown, Texas. Lived in Texas for five years, uh, right outside of Houston. And uh, then moved up to New Jersey for the first time. Lived in Maryland for a couple of years. Moved down to South Carolina where I started uh, high school. Mm. 
Moved back to New Jersey in my junior year of high school, and that's where I've been ever since. That's where I consider home. Uh, I was living about, I don't know, half hour, 40 minutes from the Rutgers campus. Really, you know, in those days, it wasn't as competitive as it is today. Sure. Uh, Rutgers was the only school I applied to, and it was early admission I got in. I was like, okay, done, <laughs> in. Uh, so during my uh, freshman year, I was in Ford Hall, which was a, it was a different kind of dorm because it was, each section was built up. So there was like four floors, and there was four different sections where it went up. And there was, the only connection was down underneath where the bathrooms were. But I had, uh, I lived in a suite as a freshman where there were four guys in a room, two bedrooms, and a sitting area, which was a draw for other students sure. because not everybody had that. So a couple, couple people in, the, in that section started to get to know them. You know, we were, started playing basketball down at the quad. Mm -hmm. And then when, when Rush came around, I was like, okay, let's go take a look. So we went, we, there were like three of us that went to probably eight to 10 fraternities at the time and kept getting back at the end of the night to Kaisai. And a couple of reasons. One is, you know, the, the lodge itself is, is, stands out at Rutgers, very spectacular in that respect. But also, it was the people. So the, the number one at the time, Mark Lippman, and another fellow named Bill Royce were very involved in rushing. And they just, they espoused something that was different than what I was hearing at other places. You know, it, it was more of, you know, helping you grow to become a better individual and get started on your real life. And it appealed to me. And actually, all three of us ended up pledging. Uh, had a great experience uh, at the Kai during pledging. I had an unfortunate experience where, um, while I was pledging, my brother passed away. He was only 10 months younger than I was. And it was amazing the support I got from my pledge brothers. It really drove home what the organization was about. And so since then, it's been something that I've dedicated my life to. It's family. It's family. Absolutely. I That's mean, a great way to put it. We, we hear it all throughout the convention and all throughout our programs, just how close everyone is and how it can be just as strong, if not stronger, than blood. Because, you know, some people, they don't have the same situation of being close with yeah. such relatives, but they come to Kaisai and it's open. Those bonds are there. And one of the great things about Rutgers is that it's a, there's so many job opportunities there that mm -hmm. people stay. They don't come to school. Like, you know, here it would be tough, you know, because everybody's scattering after school. Sure. So the people are still around. Still some of my closest friends are my pledge brothers, fraternity brothers that are still in the area. So the dynamic at Rutgers you mentioned was a little different uh, as far as like post-grad experience and getting jobs. So do a lot of people commute like to New York or how do, how do people yes, look at so that? And especially today, although it's with the, the changing and with COVID of whether people are going into offices or not. But that mm -hmm. used to be the dream, to get the job in New York City. Live in New York City for a couple years, cut your teeth on the business, and then mm -hmm. figure out what you're going to do. But in even, even Philadelphia as well, it's close enough. It's, Rutgers is pretty much right in between the two. Sure. And you can take a train to either one. So it's, that was the dream. <laughs> 
That's excellent. I mean, going back to what you mentioned about um, ending up pledging with your, your three close friends that you got, in, got into, you know, Greek life is very different, I guess, four decades later in the sense that it's under a lot more scrutiny, under the public eye a lot more. Did you have any, like, were there any reluctancies or did, was there anything about you that you thought, hey, maybe I don't want to rush or maybe you were just hesitant to go into it at the time? I don't think so, no, because, um, you know, back then, the whole fraternity experience was was significantly different from a um, hazing standpoint sure. and from just the attitude of the outside world. You know, we tried to truly abide by the, you know, avoid the rude gaze, um, but we did have events that were public in, in that respect, and so it was a little bit different, but um, I think that uh, really, you know, for the most part, uh, I really enjoyed it, understood at the time the, the implications of it, tolerated it, if you will, um, and it wasn't anything bad, but, mm -hmm. you know, it was just, it felt like, okay, now I belong, type of thing. Absolutely. And you touched a little bit earlier on just how special the lodge is up there at Row. Um, so going into your first pursuit, I guess as a pledger, as a new member, uh, talk to me about what the, that six to eight weeks was like for you, just kind of getting to that belongingness you just spoke of. Yeah, actually back then I think it was it was like nine or ten weeks. Nine or ten weeks. So actually, even we weren't okay. initiated until um, like the start of the second week of December. Okay, yeah, okay, we, yeah, yeah, we usually, I guess with the timeline now, Rush takes people up to like mid-November, so yep. you all went a bit later. Yeah. Excellent, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, what was your question again? Uh, just asking about what that, what that, I guess, that time period was like for you, getting introduced to the Lodge, um, the rest of your Pledge of Brothers, and just the fraternity overall. Yeah, I think, so, one of the things that really hit home for me was that we did a lot of things together. Back then, we used to take a pledge trip where we would go to a different alpha. And we, we went up to Amherst and really had a chance to get to know those guys and see another lodge, and what, was, you know, what was going on. You know, they, in fact, had, a, um, had an alpha room that was not concealed. Oh. So, yeah, it was up <laughs> on the third floor, and we were able to discover that. Um, so we knew there was something going on. But, um, and... The other thing that really happened during that time was we started to get a real appreciation for the lodge itself. We had mandatory cleanups and we also had the opportunity there at the time there were several active alumni who were handymen mm -hmm. and they would come to do projects and then they would ask for help and the pledges would would help. So we spent a lot of blood, sweat and tears on making sure the lodge was up to snuff, putting in you know, new walls or you know, wainscoting or whatever it might have been. Mm -hmm. But it helped to really hit home the importance of the physical plan itself and what it, what it was for us and what it meant to us. And at, also at the time, <laughs> the, um, you know, it was really, the brothers were much more involved, I think. The brothers were much more involved with the pledges and helping with that kind of stuff. It wasn't, okay, just let the pledges do it. There was active participation by the brothers to everybody. help with this kind of stuff. That's awesome. And I think, would you say that kind of tightened a lot of those bonds that Absolutely. you saw initially? Okay. Absolutely. That's excellent. I mean, just thinking about how important it is for everyone to be all hands on deck. And it showed you the appreciation of the lodge. Yeah, it's, and it's, 
it's helped to maintain that over the years, and that physical plan is very important to me. That's great. So after you actually initiated it in that December, uh, just talk to me about some of your fonder memories, just whether it's at the lodge or with your brothers. Like, what was it like after you were accepted into the arms of this brotherhood? Uh, so the first thing I did, I, I called my folks, and I was very excited to say, hey, I'm in, because my father was a teak. Teak, okay. And so, you know, it was something that he had talked about, didn't push it, but, you know, it would ultimately became important to me to become a Greek because of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that um, it's hard to describe really because, first of all, it was a long time ago, mm -hmm. but really be becoming part of something bigger than what I was. I had always been uh, an athlete in school, so I was always part of teams. One of the things that helped when I was moving around a lot as a kid is that I played sports, so I was able to establish relationships really before I got into the school system, and that helped tremendously. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by the time I, I got to college, I was more focused on my studies, and this was a, just a different kind of organization that felt similar to like a team and helped me to acclimate to the school. And, you know, once I became a member, it was much more of, you know, brothers willing to help with get into class, or hey, I had this teacher before, or hey, here's, a, here's uh, some tips on different courses you should take, here's some courses, you know, some gut courses that are pretty interesting you can take and stuff like that. So I think it was becoming just part of something bigger than me that, that satisfied me. So there was a lot of focused attention, not only on yourself, but your other brother's academics and scholarship. Mm -hmm. Big emphasis on that. And I guess just being at Rutgers, it was super important to maintain that type of thing. I know you said it was a little different back then, but um, nowadays just keeping that up is important. Yeah, I mean, it's so <laughs> I was a chemical engineer. Right. It was very difficult. And I don't know whether I would have uh, been able to maintain. I didn't maintain my grades good enough to stay in the fraternity today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was, um, and that was, uh, there was always guys willing to help. Mm -hmm. And I think that in a, that kind of environment where most kids are on their own for the first time, to have somebody reach out to help you with your studies, which is why you're there, um, is, you know, was very important to me. And it really helped me to, to get through school, quite frankly. Of course. And just going off that, like, spoiler alert, you made it. Yeah. Graduated, got through. and um, I did. And I, and I was going to transition next into just that degree in chemical engineering. Based on just what you've done in your career, you gravitated more towards business operations, management, and all of that. So talk to me about what that was like transitioning out of that like, tough degree and tough field into more of the business side of the workforce. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was a tough transition, but I've always been, relationships have always been important to me. Mm -hmm. I've always strived to nurture them, establish them, maintain them. And I just kept that same attitude when I went into the workforce. I was very fortunate to have a couple mentors along the way. Um, my second job was in manufacturing and I fell in love with it. Uh, I stayed in manufacturing for the next 20, 20 years or so, transitioned into supply chain, but in all those cases, you know, having mentors and having people looking out for you and and nurturing those relationships um, really helped me 
to grow and become what I would consider to be fairly successful in, in what I did. Of course. And, you know, I've, you've worked several different places, TG mm -hmm. Therapeutics, Johnson & Johnson, uh, a bunch, a handful of other companies. Um, and as you know, the prevalence of transitioning between companies is still something very present today in today's world, moving between jobs, sometimes even careers. Um, some people say that studies show that about the average person will have about 11 different jobs in their career, and they might gravitate between three or four different careers. Talk to me a little bit about what it's like to transition between companies um, from a, an employment standpoint. What, what that's like, some things you took with you, and some uh, maybe practices that you adopted. Yeah, so there was only one company I worked for that was longer than five years. Mm -hmm. Five years was kind of the point where I got reached where it was like, okay, it's time to go for one reason or another, either for a growth opportunity or I left actually J&J &J because they offered me a promotion that I didn't want. So it was a matter of, one, understanding what you enjoy, what you want to do, and how you can contribute. And, you know, some lucky breaks. You know, sometimes jobs come out of nowhere. My first manufacturing job, it was just a job fair I just, just went to look at. And, you know, that got me into what I really enjoyed doing. And then it was more of, okay, well, what, what do I want to do next? You know, I, some companies I knew I had reached the point where I wasn't going to have an opportunity to go anywhere anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So I, I reached, started reaching out and trying to find different opportunities. was fortunate to have a couple. And then on my third job, I worked for a company called Letterly Laboratories that ultimately became part of Wyeth, where uh, my boss um, was a Vietnamese fellow who just had a great way with people and was, a, was really a great leader. Um, turned out that over the years, he moved to a couple places, gave me a call, hey, what are you doing? Need your help. So I worked for him for four different times at four different companies, including my last two. And the transition really is, to get back to your question, sorry. No, you're totally fine. <laughs> the, uh, the transition is always hard because one thing is it's always tough to leave the people that you've been working with sure. if you've established relationships. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a necessity, like so three of the jobs, two of the jobs I've had, I got laid off in. Mm. So you don't have a choice. You know, some companies handle that the right way, some don't. But, uh, you know, that's a little traumatic, but you move on. And, you know, in, in the, once you get to the new place, you try to establish the right relationships, know who does what, know who the key people are, and you got to put yourself out there. You have to expose yourself a little bit and be able to get to the right people and show that, you know, show them that you really, you know, really want to do the right thing and how can, how can you help them so that they can ultimately help you. You mentioned this gentleman that you've been with across several different companies um, and what he's done for you, but you described him as a great leader. And you've had to manage, you've had to lead. Talk to me about some of the main challenges you've experienced as a leader. Oh boy, <laughs> that's a loaded question. The main challenges, a couple of the main challenges are, you know, sometimes you're swimming against the tide. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes you're being thrown into the deep end of the pool, so to say, where it's like, okay, I need you to do this, go do it. And it becomes um, a, a matter of trust. So when you work with somebody and you establish um, that you're, you know, you're doing what you need to do, you're being successful what you need to do, you, you have a level of trust from, from the person that you're working for, 
that also provides the opportunities. So part of it is that, you know, he, he knew what to expect, I knew what to expect. So whenever you're going into a new job, you never know what the organization is like for sure. You never know, unless you know people there, and you never know what your boss is going to be like. And, you know, there can be some nightmares out there. So by having someone, by having mutually uh, understanding of the capabilities and competencies, you have a little level of comfort going in that, okay, at least I have this to get started with. I know that he's going to support me. And this looks like I can do, be successful at it. Of course. And though you worked under the same man multiple times, like you did hold a lot of positions at a lot of companies. So were interviews something that you really worked on or developed as you um, kind of got deeper into your career? Initially. Initially, okay. After the fact, like for the, the last job that I worked for this, this fellow, um, I had an interview. Mm. And so it consisted of I went in, had lunch with a couple people who were I wasn't going to be associating with at work. Um, and then went back and had uh, one fellow I had not met came in and talked to me for five minutes. And then I had the job. <laughs> so it was, it was a foregone conclusion. Just had to show up and, and say the right things to the right person. When, I, when I, I got laid off for my first, second job at Maxwell House, they, they did a great job of, they gave us a year's notice because the plant was going to close. They set up a resource center, resume writing, interview pr practice, all that kind of stuff. And that became very important because at the time, there were times I went to interviews, I had a guy, one interview said, okay, here's a problem. I need you to solve this problem. You know, it's a technical problem. I, mean, I need like some reference books and stuff to, to, to tackle. Mm. But he, right in the middle of the job interview, here, do this problem for me. It's like, okay, no thanks. But, um, you know, so you never know what you're going to get. You just have to make sure that you're comfortable in who you are, what your capabilities are, and you have to be honest with yourself and with them. Just being out of the workforce, because you are retired, is that correct? Two months ago. Two months ago, so very recently, actually. Yeah. What's just that been like, having to exit, I mean, four decades nearly of just work? So... About a year ago or so, I had made the decision I was going to retire at the end of this year. Mm -hmm. And things worked out where I could go a little bit earlier. Um, so once I decided I was going to do it, that's what I was working towards. That was my objective. And now that it's here, um, it's been interesting because I had actually several opportunities right after I retired from other companies I was working with. They wanted me to come work for them. And I said, well, I need at least six months to kind of figure out what I want to do with my life. It's been two months, and I haven't had a 10 minutes to sit down and, and evaluate what I'm doing. It's been great. As I said, I just got back from 10 days in California with my son and my granddaughter, and they're expecting their second any time awesome. now. Um, you know, my, my daughter lives half hour from me. She's due in, in November. So the family is really coming to the forefront now. It's, you know, our grandkids are now our focus in life. I definitely want to get back into some volunteer work. Obviously, I'm working with fraternity, which is not quite a full-time job, but it takes some time. Um, I definitely want to start getting into some volunteer work, uh, maybe some food banks or, or um, soup kitchens or something like that. It's, it's been my, you know, I always have been a, a person who is striving to help other people succeed. 
I always felt as a manager at work, my primary objective was to get my people promoted and get them to develop and move on in their career. And I still feel the same way about, you know, now it's a bigger community. But I want to give back. Um, I have the, the time, I have the resources to be able to do that. I'm very fortunate in that respect. And I want to be able to do that now. Absolutely. For our brothers and alumni who are parents, as you know, they're not just having one job, they have two jobs because fatherhood is absolutely a full-time job. Absolutely. What, what, what was just raising your kids like and what were some things you just picked up along the way just about being a father and um, just spending time with your kids and being invested in their lives? Yeah, so that's, um, and that's really it. It's spending the quality time with your kids. It's really, um, again, helping them succeed uh, while still setting some boundaries. Mm -hmm. It's, it's about teaching them responsibilities, accountability, um, that they're, you know, it's not about them. It's about everybody else but them, if they're doing it right. It's about nurturing their, their passions, you know, either whether it be sports, the arts, or whatever that might be. You know, back when we were raising kids, there wasn't, you know, our kids were not overscheduled um, type of thing, so they were still pretty busy um, and I, you know, one thing I could, was probably not the greatest father at was sports because I'm pretty passionate about it and I would yell from the stands and had to, I was asked to leave a soccer game once. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's really about, uh, help, again, helping them succeed and helping them understand what family means. Mm -hmm. um, we were fortunate to have, uh, my wife's got a, a couple of brothers who have many, multiple kids and, they were all around the same age, so help making sure we were getting together with them. You know, uh, in the early days, their grandparents were alive and helping them understand where they came from, what their heritage is, mm -hmm. and uh, really nurturing whatever they wanted to do for that heritage to maintain that or to, to be successful themselves. Of course, and then just looking back at your entire experience from undergrad to now, What's the connection like still with your pledge brothers or people that you attended row with at the time from Kaisai? And what, what do you mean? Do you all stay connected? Do you all talk? Do you all? Oh yeah. So, um, so we have a group. We have a core group of friends. Uh, I'd say ninety percent. So ninety percent of them are of the guys are are row, are row boys. Mm -hmm. um, I also so we do a lot with them. Uh, dinners out barbecues, going to, lately we've been on a, a kick to visit as many microbreweries as we can. Um, and also, <laughs> I, uh, I now coordinate, we have an annual dart tournament at the lodge. So I've heard. Mm -hmm. So we have, uh, we put up, we, when I was in school, darts was an intramural sport. Really? Really. So that's why we played. It was already, they had already been playing there uh, for a couple of years, so a lot of the guys there were good. We picked it up, so I'd never played darts until I went to college, and we learned how to play, and we actually won intramurals for a couple of years. But then we wanted to keep it going, so this year we had our 30th annual dart tournament. We, we moved to the lodge probably 10 years ago. Um, we put up six boards. Uh, we have uh, two 48-man teams. Uh, so and typically we have about 110 brothers there. Wow. A lot of guys just come to watch and reconnect, but it's a great night for everybody to reconnect um, and really remember what it was like and have fun at the at the lodge. 
In addition, we do a, you know, I do an annual golf trip with the, this year we had 12 row boys that went. We go down to a couple guys' houses in South Jersey, stay there and play a couple courses in the area. And so we, we, we keep having, we keep activities to maintain connections. You know, obviously all of our wives have become friends and mm -hmm. it's been just fantastic. So, you know, actually two weeks after I get home, I'm going, my wife and I are going with another um, couple to uh, one guy's house down LBI for four days, just hanging out. So three boys and their, and their wives and a beach house. So there's many ways to keep connected. It's, a, it's you just got to do it. That silver cord, just keeping us all binded together. Exactly, exactly. Just looking back on these on these last couple of questions, for our current undergrads, the people of this really podcast is here to connect with the alumni, our current undergrads. What is just something you'd recommend? And um, obviously not just specific to Roe, you can apply it pretty broadly, but what's just something you'd want to say to our undergraduates is something they should take note of or something they should think about during their current experience? I think it's what I mentioned before, that, you know, be be self-aware of you're in a you're in four or five years these days mm -hmm. of an environment that is unique and you're not going to have this kind of environment most people won't have this kind of environment again and just be aware of that this is the time that's going to shape you it's going to be um, very impressionable on you and it's important to kind of take a step back and and soak it all in because some things are going to be resonate with you, some aren't. Mm -hmm. And you're going to want to take your time to understand what they are. You know, really enjoy where you are. Yes, yeah, schools. School is hard, all right. Going to school, getting an education—that's real work. But there's a there's an atmosphere around that where you have some freedom. You have some uh, ability to, to experiment and do some things, and you need to take advantage of that. Um, you know, you just need to use your time at school to grow as a human being, to start understanding who you are as an individual, because that's going to dictate where you go in life, and spend some time contemplative thinking um, about, about that. You know, do some introspective thinking, who you are, where you want to go, what does all this mean to me, and how does it really make me a better person? So enjoy it. Of course, I just think, again, everything you said encapsulates those core values and just what it means to be, I guess, us. So, I mean, that, that, that's, that's really special. And I think in undergrads, having that insight is really important just for, again, like you said, perspective and what they have in their own experience. So wrapping us up, I think the most important question of the entire thing like falls here at the end. Do you think pineapple belongs on pizza? Uh, on the right kind of pizza, yes. Define right kind of pizza. So maybe a little ham and even spinach. So really an authentic Hawaiian. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Well, I think you're going to, you might have to watch yourself on the way out because I, <laughs> I, I, I think a lot of brothers are going to be giving you some crap about that. No, but thank you so much for sitting down with us today. I, I think the conversation was amazing. Absolutely. It's a complete pleasure. Yeah. So it's just, I think these just stories and these conversations are just integral. And I, and again, timeless. And I think it's extremely important what you guys are doing. You, I mean, you did a great job. And I really think that there are a zillion stories out there. Like you said, everybody has something to offer. 
I think so too. And we, we thank you for giving us what you had to offer today. This has been Kevin Haynes, Brother Kevin Haynes, Alpha Row, Class of 1981. I'm Ewan Dunn, Phi Delta 24. Thank you all for tuning in. And we'll be back with several other episodes from the 181st Convention in Lubbock. And we just thank you guys for being here.